Welcome to the Tournament of Everything, a show where we randomly pick articles off Wikipedia, talk about them at that moment, and figure out which ones we like best. That's right. And we do so by taking a walk through the countryside, encountering a strange old man who gifts us with a magic-looking fishing lure. We take it to a local watering hole, throw it in, and catch a speaking fish. We ask it the meaning of life, and its answer is... The selection moving on to the next round of the I gotta imagine if you have to catch the fish to get the meaning of life, he's gotta give advice like put me back, jerk. Yeah, you made me late for lunch. My, a worm. My boss will not believe me. Well, you wouldn't believe what's gonna be in this first round. So let's get right into it. In round one, we have the Tawny Eagle against the mayor of Watford, a man that looks like a bird. Okay, a bird of prey versus somebody who, uh, you know, a a political uh, striker here, a mayor. Let's see which one of these is going to uh, be champion of this round. The Tawny Eagle is a large bird of prey. It is heavily feathered leg. It has heavily feathered legs, also known as uh, a booted eagle. Tawny eagles have an extensive but discontinuous breeding range that constitutes much of the African continent. It is uh, perhaps the most highly opportunistic of all of its taxonomic clan, often scavenging on carrion and engaging in kleptoparasitism towards other carnivorous animals. It is estimated that tawny eagles can reach the age of 16. Nonetheless, precipitous declines have been detected throughout its range. Numerous factors, particularly the loss of nesting habitat due to logging and global warming, as well as persecution, wow, uh, are driving the once numerous tawny eagle perhaps to the brink of extinction. Mm. Uh, it is divided between three subspecies, it seems. Um, you know, this bird, it's uh, it's got a sharp-looking face, uh, pointy beak, kind of a loose-looking feathery uh, pattern on itself. It's, it's a pretty sweet bird, looks awfully aggressive. And speaking of pretty sweet birds, let's talk about the mayor of Watford, uh, the head of the borough council of Watford, Hertfordshire, England. Now, the holder of the position is directly elected as mayor using a supplementary vote every four years. The current mayor of Watford is Peter Taylor, who was elected in May of 2018. Mm, um, term length, four years. Um, no courtesy title or style. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it's probably means, you know, there's no fancy stuff, you know, no British pomp and circumstance for this given position. Um, he is a member of the Liberal Democrats. Yeah, it looks like he won his initial vote with 61% of the vote against the Labor Party's Jack Tardinsta, who won 38% of the vote. 
Yeah, you know, if you're going to rise up in politics, you've got to be opportunistic. Uh, you've got to keep your eyes out for that moment when the tiny little mouse of opportunity shows itself and you can pounce upon it from the sky. Speaking of, um, this beautiful looking tawny eagle, um, it has a uh, gape extending only to below the middle eye. It's got a close up picture here. Um, I'm sure those eyes could see a very small mouse from a very far ways away. Now, the tawny eagle is a strong, silent type. They're generally silent in most of their range, and they are extremely silent away from their breeding grounds. Young tawny eagle chicks uh, chip initially, but once its feathers emerge, it tends to beg with a loud call of wee-yick, wee-yick. Oh, and I also see that there is another call that they make, uh, a loud bark variously transcribed as cow-cow, cow-cow, kyak-kyak, and kyark. I think you've just oh. insulted its mother. It's not a very nice thing to say to an eagle. No, it's not. Um, you know, this eagle seems to be a loner, you know, someone who doesn't really need a whole lot of other people. And I don't know that this uh, Peter Taylor could have risen to uh, the position of mayor of Watford without an electorate. So I think just based on their own merits alone, I'm going to be leaning towards the Tawny Eagle to move on as my selection in this round of... The ultimate well, as Mama once said, don't trust that mayor, but birds are quite okay. Birds are indeed caca caca. You are flying in to the next round of the ultimate Off to a fast start, mayors, eagles, mortal enemies since the dawn of time. In round two, we have Dan Foreman against Lastamaquesan Ahenas pronunciation is okay. not going to be correct, but you'll see. Yes, we're going to learn more about each of these competitors, newcomers to the league, uh, and find out which one's going to surprise us here in this round. Daniel D. Foreman, born 1953, is an American politician who served as member of the Idaho Senate from 2006 to 2018, representing the Fighting Fifth District that covers parts of Benoit and Latta counties. In fact, born in Lake Forest, Illinois, uh, earning a Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Management and Administration, he served in the United Air Force, United States Air Force, for 30 years, retiring as a colonel. Now, he was the victim of an online identity theft hoax when in February of 2018, State Senator Marianne Jordan confirmed she had filed an ethics complaint against him after an unverified Twitter account claiming to be him indicated that a group of students should discuss, quote, killing babies with her. Oh, my. Um, you know where you don't find messages quite like that? In the music contained within the studio album that is La Stima K. Sean Ahenas. Um, 
You know, this was his 25th studio album, um, him being Pepe Aguilar. It is a tribute album that consists of 12 cover versions of songs recorded by Mexican singer Vicente Fernandez. This reached all the way up to number four on the Billboard Top Latin Albums chart and number one on the Billboard Regional Mexican Albums chart. Pepe Aguilar is one of Mexico's top-selling and most well-recognized acts of Mexican ranchera music. Fernandez announced his retirement from music in February of 2012, and Pepe Aguilar told the Mexican newspaper El Infamador that he had great admiration and respect for Fernandez's work. So let's look at some of the songs here. Just going through, it starts off with the banger, El Tapatio. Uh, moving right into Las Tama Que Seas Ajena, I believe the title track of this album. Um, and it goes on with other hits um, listed here. Yeah, really, really popular. Went all the way to gold for the album. Also really, really popular is Dan Foreman um, being able to be elected to the Idaho Senate. As we mentioned in the previous uh, round, you can't get into office by yourself. Boy, howdy. We've got two unknown big heavy hitters here. This is what it's all about. Rob, who are you leaning towards? I'm going to go with the one that's still popular because Dan Foreman is no longer in office. <laughs> yes, uh, in fact, uh, he's been a vocal critic of his own district, calling the area a cesspool of liberalism. Probably not the best way to get ahead. Everybody prefers a, an album of classic hits. And so I agree. Uh, Lastima, K, Sion, Ahenas, or however it is properly pronounced, please let us know on Anchor FM. You're moving on to the next round of... Man, you can really see that combined four years of Spanish instruction showing, can't you? <laughs> yes, uh, if our instructors do ever listen to this, they'll be quite disappointed, but not surprised. Um, not surprisingly, after round two, you know what we're going to find ourselves in next? Is it round three? Three. It's time for round three. In round three, we have Consag Basin against Maxwell and Jill Scott, the tour. Okay, we've pulled ourselves from politics, and here we find ourselves on tour and uh, and within a basin. Let's find out uh, which of these places we're going to uh, choose to reside in once more in the next round. The Consag Basin is a submarine depression in the far northern part of the Gulf of California, associated with the East Pacific Rise. It lies south of the Wagner Basin, with which it is closely linked. So this depression is a result of subsidence caused by the ex er, extensional forces probably imparted by the same spreading center which has produced the Wagner Basin. Now, the Contact Basin is linked to the Delphin Basin, located to its south, by a poorly understood deformation zone, which further research may eventually define as a transform fault. 
indeed. Um, we're all trying to transform our faults, um, and perhaps that may have had something to do with um, any member or part of the art included in Maxwell and Jill Scott, The Tour, a co-headlining tour by American recording artists Maxwell and Jill Scott. They heavily played in the United States, and the tour supported Maxwell's fourth studio album, Black Summer's Night. Uh, singer Eruka Badu joined as a featured performer on select dates, and Maxwell and Scott planned a second leg of the tour for the summer of 2010. However, that was abruptly canceled. Yeah, looks like the second leg um, did not take place. Um Boy, howdy, that must have been quite the disappointment. Um, I do see here the set list. We're talking about a total of 31 songs. What an evening of music. Despite the success of the first leg of the tour, Maxwell decided to cancel the remaining dates at the last moment. An official statement cited scheduling conflicts. However, media outlets began to speculate a true reason for the tour's cancellation. Many reported that the singer was upset at Scott and special guest Badu going over their set times. Sounds like the divas were upset at the other divas. Well, this is a lot of songs. Even at a glance, I can I can note that. Um, the opening act was Guy Tori for select dates. Um, you know, they probably could have shortened him up a little bit, shared the time around. Um and you know what it takes a little time to get all the way around? The Con Sag Basin. Um, you know, the fault of which dips approximately 60 degrees to the northwest. Well, that is interesting, but I don't think it's as interesting as Maxwell and Jill Scott the tour. And I even have a personal connection. I once saw Guy Tory do stand-up in Kansas City. So... Oh I, I think for that alone, knowing that they opened their their 31-song musical concert every night with a comedian, that's enough for me to move them on. To the next round, with uh, my agreements, I'm, I'm going to stamp it right down with you, of the ultimate Yeah, basins are so basic. Basic basins. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to round four. Round four. Just when you think the nightmare's over, the round four music that scares the bejeebas out of me comes right back. Okay. Uh, You're never safe. Yep, never, never safe. You know what would save me, though, from that music? The 1922 American film Kickback, the silent western, which is one competitor in this round, going up against the Liberty County Jail. What an ironic name for a place where you lose some of your liberty. <laughs> so let's go right in to them. Now, this film, The Kickback. 1922 silent western film, as you said. Um, basically... In this film, Aaron wishes to make Harry's uh, land and girl his own. And to do this, he sends Harry to Mexico with false papers for some horses. Harry gets arrested, escapes, returns home, where he's also arrested. Um, but before he can be lynched, a Mexican girl brings the Texas Rangers to rescue him. And I assume they mean 
the uh, cop-like people, not the baseball players. Yeah, probably. The film was directed by Val Paul, written by Harry Carey. I don't know if that's the same Harry Carey, and I would be amazed. Okay, different Harry Carey, uh, who actually his name is Henry Carey, not the baseball announcer. The film released in July of 1922 and running time of six reels. I have no idea how many minutes that is, but it sounds like a lot. I think it's like weighing things in stones, but one place where time is very difficult to keep track of is jail. Perhaps actually it's uh, very easy to keep track of. I don't know, but time's got to be an issue. And I'm sure that this Liberty County Jail is no different. It is a historical building in Hinesville, Georgia, built in 1892. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places 100 years later in 1992. Yeah, um, let's see here. Located at what have been the time of its construction, the southern edge of Hinesville, which was the county seat of Liberty County, Georgia. It's one of the oldest brick buildings in both Hinesville and Liberty County. So it seems... uh, they got there, and pretty soon uh, they, they had to start locking people up. There's a considerable amount of prisoner graffiti on the cell walls, and according to restoration documentation, the jail is a significant example of a late 19th century jail for an agricultural county and a small but growing community in Georgia. The building itself, two-story, designated in a stubby T-shape with a width of 64 feet and a length of 75. Uh, Not a huge place, originally sported a tin roof, uh, but was later replaced with shingles. By the 1960s, the building was starting to deteriorate, and in 1964, county commissioners recommended building a new county jail, which was approved in 1968. And by 1970, the new jail was completed, and they stopped using the old structure known as a rotty, rotten, filthy rat hole. Well, that's good. Yeah, you, you want to get people out of there. Um, did this film get a lot of people into the seats to see it? Um, you know, I'm not seeing really like reviews or box office or anything like that. I think it's possible that more people have possibly seen the inside of this jail than have seen the inside of any one of those six reels that make up the kickback. And so I'm leaning towards choosing the Liberty County Jail. Well, this episode is just full of advice from Mama. As Mama says, don't go to jail. So I think I'm going to have to go with the kickback, even though I've never seen it and I couldn't hear it. I think it's better than, I don't know, jail. That is a valid argument, but there's only one way to settle this. Time for a tiebreaker. Why don't you explain to the people how a tiebreaker is going to work between a film you haven't seen and a jail that apparently you want to visit? I would love to do so. We will sneak into that jail and show that movie. We will also try and gather up the other uh, inmates and form gangs to battle against one another. Whoever's rival gang becomes champion and overtakes the movie's the impromptu movie theater, which is our prison, uh, will get their selection to move on to the next round. 
Well, that's an interesting thing and maybe a great way to get tetanus. I think I'm going to have to pass. I think instead we should pick a number between 1 and 10,000. And I think I'm going to go with the release date of the film, 1922. 1922. A wonderful number. Um, Let me see what I've got here. Now... This was 64 foot by 75 feet. So I'm going to go with 6,475. And our randomly selected number off of the internet is... 2,258. I believe that makes you and the kickback film, Squarely the Champions. Indeed. Moving on to the next round of... Well, now we have to see it. Yeah. The jail? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Definitely got to check that out. No, no, the movie. Uh, We can listen to whatever we want while we're watching it, though. That's the best part about those silent films. And radio was just peak back then. Yeah. Maybe they did a radio play where you could, like, listen to the radio play while you were watching the film. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if they did it so it synced up and, like, you could watch the film and hear it at the same time? Yeah, we got nothing like that nowadays. We should bring that back. Yeah. Let's also bring back round five. Round five. Round five. In round five, we have two places almost as bad as that county jail. We have the Sports Hall of Fame of New Jersey against Milldown. Okay, okay, let's see who we'll be learning about today. The Sports Hall of Fame of New Jersey was established in 1988 to honor athletes, teams, events, and contributors associated with the state of New Jersey. There is currently no physical site or structure of the hall, but its members are honored with plaques that are displayed at the Meadowlands Arena. Hmm, okay, so I believe that that's where... um, Maybe the Steelers? No, the Giants play there. The Giants play there. Um, let's look at a few of the inductees into this imaginary list. It's basically just a list. Uh, and in a pile of plaques, we've got Yogi Berra. We've got Roosevelt Browns. We've got Bob Davies. We've got Vince Lombardi. And uh, we've got Paul Tagliabue. I can't believe they, inclu- they included Vince Lombardi. I can't believe we got to fit him into another episode. Speaking of fitting in, um, there's no place that fits in better to its surrounding area than Milldown, a hill in the Rins of Kell. It's at a sub-range of Galloway Hills Range, part of the southern uplands of Scotland. It is located immediately north of Mickley Millie. Between these two hills lie the Lachlands of Achnboot, a series of small water bodies at an approximate elevation of 650 meters, possibly the highest permanent water bodies in the southern uplands. And of course, as well as this, the hill is also flanked on its southwestern side by forest plantation. Uh, And this is possibly the highest planted commercial forestry in the southern uplands. Now, like most of its neighbors, it is most easily climbed from the east at Forest Lodge. Mm -hmm. 
lovely, lovely Forest Lodge. Um, that's about, though, all we see. I've got a picture here. Uh, it is a beautiful green hill amongst other green hills and uh, green flat parts of the land, too. Um, there are clouds that I'm sure are frequently flying above. Um, it seems like a nice, nice hill. Yeah, and you know what? I think I have to go with the hill just because of how nice it is, and I can actually visit it. I've effectively visited the Sports Hall of Fame of New Jersey because it doesn't exist, and it's just a list of things, plaques that don't exist in that place anyway. So, uh, Milldown, you're my vote for this round. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm not sure what is underneath the hill, making up the hill, but I can see very clearly what makes up um, this Sports Hall of Fame of New Jersey. And, uh, you know, it's good to be on this list, but uh, I had to imagine there's something pretty sweet. Mill down under, mill down. And that's why we're both moving it on to the next round of... The Ultimate You are not going to believe who we have in round six. Play the music. Play the music. Oh, it went away. Hold on. I got to There you have it. There's your winner. Round six. In round six, we have probably your hero, the one you put on your walls in a poster form when you were a child, the one you wanted to grow up to be. DD.43.Q.879, point 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 a pigeon against Johnium Research. I do love a good pigeon. Um, and this pigeon is the best of all pigeons. Um, I guess we'll have to just give this Johnium Research a fair cop, but uh, I think with, we should. Waste no time getting right in to this pigeon, of course, known as DD.43.Q.879. Um, this pigeon received the Dickin Medal in 1947 for the People's Dispensary of Sick Animals for Bravery for its service in the Second World War. During an attack on a U.S. Marine patrol by Japanese forces on Manu Island in Papua New Guinea, Three pigeons were released to warn headquarters of an impending enemy counterattack. Two were killed by enemy fire, but DD-43 successfully reached headquarters, allowing bombing attacks to be directed at enemy forces and for the patrol to be extracted. That's a cool pigeon. Yeah, but that pigeon had no idea what was going on. All of a sudden, you know, people were shooting at it. Two of his buddies went down. It was just trying to get home. Um, perhaps it had eggs there waiting for him, small chicks. Who knows? Um, but this particular bird made it home that day. I, I don't even think we need to spend more than the next 30 seconds on Jonium Research. Uh, it's one of the largest non-academic research research institutes in Austria beside Besides its headquarters in Graz, it's also based in Wise, Hartburg, Niklasdorf, Klagenfurt, and Vienna. 85% of the company are owned by the province of Streia. The remaining 15% are held by the province of Carinthia. That's the entire article, and it's not nearly as cool as that pigeon. Now, what is a non-academic research institute? That's a great question. 
I don't even know, and it's not in blue, so I can't click on it to figure out exactly what they researched, nor is any of it listed in the article. So maybe it's like one of those political research groups? Or maybe it's, I mean, it could be secret, but maybe they're not really researching anything. They're just kind of, you know, you know, play learning. Or you just go and it's non-academic. There's no books. You just go and get your hands dirty. Um, I doubt that's what it is. And if it was, they'd probably have a little bit better of a chance. But there's no way. Just like the uh, shooting forces trying to thwart it, there's no way that DD-43 could be beat. So getting on the website of Jonium Research, they have a digital materials, robotics, health, and life section. So it's probably a, some form of biomedical research company, perhaps. But it's still not as cool as that pigeon. Yeah. Who also worked for such a thing? Um, you know, the people's dispensary for sick animals. We're talking about biomedical stuff. Um, pfft. Man, this this pigeon has an answer for everything, and I think that it is the answer for this round. Rob, do you concur? Absolutely. DD.43.Q.879, point point you're moving on to the next round of... The Ultimate Turning Sweet pigeon. Who doesn't love a pigeon? Nobody that's my friend. Round seven. In round seven, we have Karol Gurov, a Soviet-Russian theoretical physicist, against list of songs in The Beatles' rock band, not the actual band, the video game. Okay, okay. So another list. Lists have been a bit contentious in this competition. Um, however, so have soviet uh physicists so let's see which of these underdogs is going to come out on top this time carol gurov born march 6 1918 passed away september 29th 1994 worked in the field of physical kinetics which might uh i'm not exactly sure exactly what that is field of study often referred to as geometry of motion okay okay born in moscow in the family of a military officer, accepted into the Faculty of Physics and Mathematics at Moscow State, and graduated in 1941, earning a diploma with honor. And then in 1944, he started work in uh, MSU as a PhD student, whole bunch of acronyms, but he was working on problems of kinetic theory of quantum systems. So I guess the way that all of those crazy tiny things that make up everything uh, move and operate. He worked on developing materials for space projects, participated in the Apollo-Soyuz test project, and studied the effects of zero gravity on material properties. Okay, analysis of the diffusion processes and the corresponding phase transitions in alloys. Um, I think that's, that's you know, pretty clear and uh, speaks for itself. Um, what also is pretty clear and speaks for itself is the list of songs in the Beatles rock band, the 2009 music video game developed by Harmonix. The 45-song selection of the Beatles music on the game's disc was praised by critics, considered the list to be emotional, sentimental, and a good cross-section of the band's catalog. Now, compared to other music video games released previously, the number of tracks in this game was considered small, 
and the inclusion of a certain lesser-known song and the exclusion of more popular ones was considered confusing. Which was that uh, lesser-known song? Oh, that's a great question. So on disc track listing, we have... Uh, it's probably And Your Bird Can Sing. I would imagine that that is the lesser-known one. Cause I yeah, don't, I don't know that one. Yeah, Dig a Pony, don't know that one. Um, mm, but mm. ones that you do know that are on here, perhaps, are A Hard Day's Night, Can't Buy Me Love, uh, we've got Come Together, we've got uh, Eight Days a Week, I Am the Walrus, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, all the way through Yellow uh, Submarine, and many, many more. Now, this is interesting. The game came with disc with songs on a disc, and then there's downloadable content, but all the downloadable content was removed from sale on May 5th, 2016, as the licensing contracts with the rights holder expired. Players who purchased them can still download them, but no one else can get them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody knows that... Uh, <laughs> You can't just use the Beatles music. Um, let me show you right now. I'm going to sing for you. Um, uh, let's see here. Which one should I sing? Let's sing. Here comes the sign. Here we go. Two, three, four. So he is actually singing, but no one can hear it because that is the power of copyright infringement, everyone. Right there. Only the Beatles and Mickey Mouse have this power. Do, do. And he's done. See? It was lovely. Yeah. Um, boy, <laughs> that uh, game sure sounds like fun, um, but so do quantum systems and kinetic equations and, um, you know, yeah, no, uh, I think if I would rather, if I was going to be in a room with one of these two people, uh, one of these two competitors, I think it would probably be with a, uh, a console and... All of the songs contain... Oh, well, it's just the list, though. It's not the game itself. It's only the list that's kind of disappointing. You don't get the game. Holy cow. At least you get a physicist with uh, Kirill Gurov. No, that's okay. I'm going to go with the list because with the list, I have memories. I remember playing this game. I remember hearing these songs. You know what I don't remember? Kirill Gurov. Or anything we've ever learned about physics. So... Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree. Just because these songs are so iconic that you can hear them just by seeing the name of their title. Yes, the list of songs of the Beatles rock band. You're moving on to the next round of... The Ultimate Yeah, that was a really good point. Yeah, I mean, when you have the option to pick the Beatles, pick the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, how many Beatles are left now? We still got John and we're, we still got uh, Paul and Ringo at least, right? I think so, but I'm not sure. Mm. You know what you can be sure of is round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round eight! In round eight, we have Haramod, the legendary Danish king, against Sishousi Station, probably Sishui Station, I don't know, it's in Chinese, an interchange station on line six and line ten of the Beijing subway. Oh, 
okay, two fascinating competitors, um, one from underground and one from uh, deep in history. Uh, so, you know, probably uh, underneath the, the depths of time at this point. Let's find out which one's going to dig their way to the top of this round. Now, Haramod is actually mentioned in that great epic Beowulf. After Beowulf has defeated Grendel, a bard sings the deeds of Sigmund, and they mention Haramod. He got a shout out in a big way. Um, he may also be identical to Lothar in uh, Saxo Grammaticus Gesta Denorum, or the same history may have been applied to uh, the two originally separate figures. Hmm. Now, some of these we look like we have historical references in genealogies, and then some of them are just in writings. Even Tolkien mentions the guy, apparently, but only through mentioning Beowulf, perhaps. Okay, so we're talking about a, yes, a legendary Danish king. So not a real king. Um, was King Arthur a real king? Yeah, I don't know. I think technically, but maybe not with all the magic stuff. Okay, well, perhaps we're uh, extrapolating, but maybe we can think of them as slightly parallel. Uh, this one would have lived in the second century, a uh, long time ago. Here, I think we should, um, I don't know, uh, I know that Beowulf is not quite as litigious as the Beatles, um, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read off a segment of, uh, you know, the including him in Beowulf, to the tune of Here Comes the Sun. Here we go. Two, three, four. While he's doing that, because the copyright is kicked right back in, we're going to talk about this subway station in Beijing. This station opened on December 30th, 2012. is named after the nearby pagoda of Sisui Temple. Do-do. And he's done. No. Yes, it was. that one was even better. Um, boy, I'm so glad that you got to hear that. Uh this station has an interesting layout. Um, both the Line 6 and 10 stations have underground island platforms. Um, so that is a platform arrangement where a single platform is positioned between two tracks within a railway station. Both Line 10 and 6 are featured there, and there are five exits, lettered B, C1, C2, D, and I. That makes sense. Sure. There are pictures here. Um, it looks really clean. It looks new and bright. Um, you can see uh, they've got escalators and they've got ticket scanners and they've got uh, what looks like a highly skilled floor waxer because that is shiny. I'm really hoping that these maps aren't to scale because these escalators go straight up. If you see this map here, they just go straight up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it looks like a, an escalator, um, but perhaps that's not the worst way to go about it. You just got to stand there, hold on, and, uh, well, you know, hey, never thought about it, but I think it might work. I would hate to fall down an escalator because when does it stop? When? When does it stop? The moment it becomes stairs, they say. Um, so let's jump back over real quick to our friend Haramod. Um, Old Norse king, fictional character, got a lot of street cred, a lot of shout outs. 
but um, you know, is is the story the thing that's going to get you there, or is it Sishuhuisi Station? Well, for me, it's going to be the story. I mean, subways are great, but you know what's even better? Legendary Danish kings. I was going to say Jimmy John's. Well, you, you, also Danishes are also better than subway stations. Oh, yeah. I love a good Danish. Um, man, that sounds good. We should go get Danishes when we're done here. After we move Haramad on. After we move him on, indeed, to the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything. The ultimate tournament of everything. I cannot believe it is already that time. That time for round nine. Round nine. In round nine, we have Dissertation, Honey, the debut studio album from the band The Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower against Mike Richardson, The Running Back. Okay, uh, another musical album staking its claim here, but I don't think that it will be so easily uh, deterred from, you know, or so easily, you know what I'm saying? It's competing against Mike Richardson, and I'm excited. No no one ever knows what you're saying. So this (laughs) debut studio album by San Diego band The Plot to Blow Up the Eiffel Tower. Guys, that that is a long name. Released on the Happy Couples Never Last label in 2003. And note that the intro and outro songs, Exhibitionism and Monotonous, are excerpts from one of poet Kalani Amerson's spoken verse sessions. Yes. um, Now, we don't have time to listen to the entire album, but we can run you through the track listing. It starts, as you said, with exhibitionism. Moving on to the classic Sometimes I Wish I'd Lost a Leg, um, which is followed by another jam, One Stab Deserves Another. um, And in fourth, we've got Funeral Procession. It's just just banger after banger, it it looks like. Yeah, so... The plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower, the band, is a punk jazz band, which is something I did not know existed until this very moment. It sounds like the coolest of both of those uh, genres. You know who probably didn't like punk jazz, though? Well, you never know. We'd have to ask him. It's Mike Richardson, the running back, born in 1969. Now, don't get too excited. He didn't play good football. He played Canadian football. He attended Louisiana Tech in 1987 until 1991, and in 1990 was named the most valuable player in the Independence Bowl. Wow, very impressive. And do note, Louisiana, known for its jazz. So I'm just saying uh, it's possible he could have been a fan. Um, Could have been a fan, especially... You know, in college, you're listening to a lot of music. A year later, he was signed as a free agent to the New York Giants. Um, then in 1992, he signed with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and quickly became a star in the Canadian Football League. Yeah, it looks like in Canada he was good, but just not good enough to play for the New York Giants. In his first year with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he rushed for 1,100 yards in only 11 games 
and had one of the best playoff performances in history with 27 carries for 227 yards and two touchdowns. He came back. He played. Uh, he was always good. Signed as a free agent with a few other teams. Um, but looks like he ended with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, it says here that unlike many other Americans who come to Canada to play in the CFL, Michael Richardson fell in love with Winnipeg and decided to remain where he is married, has children, and still is involved in football in the Winnipeg area. Well, that's quaint, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a happy ending. It's a it's a lovely story. Um, do you think that the story within dissertation, honey, the debut st- studio album by the plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower, was quite as uh, enlightening and uh, uplifting? With songs like "One Stab Deserves Another" and "Her Health Violation," I doubt it. I'm going to have to go with Mike Richardson for this one just because I think it would make a great direct-to-TV movie. It would. And uh, if you were going to make a movie about the plot to blow up the Eiffel Tower's debut studio album, Dissertation, honey, just guessing here, but uh, it'd probably have to be on one of the uh, cable channels um, and, uh, you know, shown maybe a little bit later. So I think that you're right. Our good friend, the running back, Mike Richardson will be moving on to the next round of the ultimate He's finally made it to the big leagues. The big leagues, probably coaching the minor leagues, and by minor leagues, I mean children's football in Winnipeg. They take it serious up there. Um, where the children are men, and uh, everybody is really awesome. Speaking of awesome... We'll see you next time for another awesome episode of The Ultimate Turn.